0: finish what I got halfway through on Mother's Day, which I was talking then about church membership, and I think the emphasis of uh, what we talked about in that, uh, in that session on uh, Mother's Day evening was basically just to try to lay out uh, before you the biblical evidence that there really should be uh, a church membership and an identified body of people who are uh, quote, members of a local church. There's not a verse that we can turn to that says, have a church role and write down every person that comes into your, uh, into your community of believers on, on a church list. But yet there are, as we saw, I trust uh, in our session before, there is uh, plenty of evidence, uh, plenty of things that would indicate uh, to us that that, in fact, is, was the case even in the earliest days of the Christian church. I want to talk for just a minute about uh, a subject that came up in our Sunday school class when we were talking about baptism. And it is, it is just to affirm the, uh, the idea that baptism should be into church membership, that there shouldn't be such a thing as a person— being baptized and making a profession of faith in Christ, but then not being associated with the church, not being a member of a church, not joining a group of believers. Uh, and But we, we find that quite uh, a bit now, especially in modern America, uh, where uh, baptism has become a very uh, casual thing in a lot of circles, and it is often done... Um, uh, very much separated from uh, joining the membership and the oversight and the, and the community of believers of a local church. Let me make out uh, to you, and I'll try to do this kind of quickly, but let me make a few uh, observations to you, with you. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, Says this: For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Now I would suggest to you that uh, ver- verses like this verse, uh, Romans twelve four and five, are indicating to us that there is no such thing. As an individual Christian that is divorced from other believers. It's very clear at the end of verse 5. It says, individually we are members one of another. That the body has many members and then we individually are members one uh, of another. And it is the others that we see all through the New Testament that just cry out to us that, Every Christian should be joined to a local uh, body of believers. Look over at 1 Corinthians 12 for a second. 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so here, Paul is telling us again, very plainly, that there's one body, there's many members, and that all of the members of the body, though they are many and they're individual people and there's multitudes of us, we are, in fact, one body, and that that is the way it is with Christ, just like our real body has many parts and members, so it is with the Church of Jesus Christ as well. Over in verse nineteen, we read, "If all were a single member, where would the body be?" And so, I think that asks the question that uh, should be asked in regard to this question about baptism into church membership, or even just salvation. Into church membership, because that's a very uh, that's a very direct question. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And the fact of the matter is, if we were all individual Christians not joined together, uh, the, most of what we know as Christianity and most of what God has planned for us to experience and live and to and to be part of as Christian people, just simply. Uh, wouldn't exist we read this morning in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 about there being one Lord and one faith and one baptism one family one father over all and so I would suggest to you that baptism is the visible sign of union with Christ and to become a visible Christian through baptism is to become a visible member of the body of Christ as well I would suggest to you that the Great Commission requires this. If you would turn with me to Acts 6, I'm just going to remind you of what the Great Commission says. It says, go into uh, all the nations and make disciples and baptize them. Baptizing those who believe and make them to be disciples. Now, in Acts 6, I just want to draw your attention to how the word disciple is used the Great Commission, go make disciples, go baptize them. The, but the disciples are, are identified here as people who are members of Christ's church. Here in uh, Acts chapter 6, look at verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the, Hellenistic, Hel- the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And so if you're just noticing these verses, a couple things are happening. In those days, the disciples, the members of the church there in Jerusalem were increasing in number. And then when when the apostles want to uh, want to address the issue of, of, uh, of this practical matter of needing to deal with the widows and their needs uh, and to relieve themselves of that task because they needed to devote them, themselves to, uh, to the Word of God and to prayer, they called the full number of the disciples uh, to them. Uh, we see it in verse 7 as well. And the Word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so these people were becoming members of the church there in Jerusalem. I cite those verses just by way of example. The word disciple is used in this way 28 times in the book of Acts. Baptism as a church ordinance requires it. Baptists rightly insist that only the church and its authorized representatives have a right to baptize. Baptism is an ordinance of the visible church, and thus as an ordinance under the authority of the church, it is inconsistent and illogical to bestow a church ordinance on those who are not by this ordinance made members of the church. It is a church thing. It is a local a group of believers thing that's going on when we have baptism. So uh, it would be inconsistent with that to baptize people, and yet at the same time that we exercise this ordinance as a church, that it doesn't bring those people to uh, be part of the church of Christ, the local visible church of Christ. Now, did I hear somebody say something? It is okay if you to ask a question. (laughs) Okay. In the same way the Lord's table requires it. Look at First Corinthians ten. I think this is a very interesting statement. First Corinthians ten, verses sixteen and seventeen. We're we're more familiar with the passage in chapter eleven because we often read that when we actually do the Lord's Table. That's the that's the, the, the passage that we quote. Uh, uh, oftentimes, as part of our actual ceremony, we, we pull from the words of chapter 11. But here in chapter 10, in verses 16 and 17, there's this very interesting statement. The cup of blessing that we bless, is, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, he's saying something here very similar to what was said when when we read, All are baptized into one body. Here, what he's saying is, is that there's this one cup and this one bread that we partake of, and when we partake of this one bread, We are identifying ourselves with the fact that we are part of this one body. And that one body, of course, is the church of Jesus Christ. We're not the Lone Ranger by ourselves out in the world. The Lord's Supper, as a church ordinance, uh, is for members, that is, members of the church and members of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament assumes everywhere that all Christians are baptized and that they are all church members. The, the New Testament recognizes no class of Christians consisting of baptized non church members. That kind of person is never addressed in the New Testament. To disconnect baptism from church membership is to create a class of Christians who are baptized but not ch- church members that are never addressed, never even contemplated in the New Testament. Always, it is assumed that we are all baptized. And the language of that is throughout the New Testament. It is also a fact that it is, we are always spoken of in the New Testament as all being members of one another. Hebrews 13, 17, just for example. When I say it's assumed... When we read a verse like this, Hebrews 13, 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. The assumption here, the writer of Hebrews just assumes that every reader reader has leaders and is under their authority, and that the elders are accountable for them. there's uh, There's no argument trying to prove that that is the underlying foundational facts, it's just assumed that whoever is reading this letter, whoever is in the church there, whoever's in the Christian community there, uh, are members, in fact, that have leaders, uh, they are subject to authority, and that the elders are accountable for those people. In Acts chapter 2, in verses 41 and 42, we have this very direct... Uh, uh, this very uh, direct uh, order of events that I would suggest to you is normative for what we should always see. It says in uh, verse 41, Acts two forty-one. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread. In prayers. And so what we see is we see this pattern. We see people believe, receive the word, then they're baptized, then they're added that day to the assembly of God's people. And then as part of Christ's church, as members in his church, they devote themselves to being taught and to fellowship with God's people and to uh, taking the Lord's table and to jointly praying together. And so that's the pattern that we see in the New Testament. Let me make one last point that I think is really important. Those are all kind of like an argument about that this is what we ought to do. But let me, let me tell you something uh, that I think is very practical. It is neither safe nor principled for new Christians to be allowed to be without a church home. The one baptized is by the very fact that baptism is an ordinance of initiation. In almost all cases, the one baptized is a very new Christian. Such Christians above all others need the care of a local church. Such Christians may, like children, be the least able to see what is both good for them and required of them. And for these reasons, local churches must insist that such Christians, when they are baptized, join themselves to the church. It is not safe for a new believer to have no church home. It is not principle for the church to baptize someone who refuses to join the community of believers in the church. And it is not principle for them to recognize such a one as a true follower and disciple. Of the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope that that very practical uh, idea makes uh, makes good sense to us as uh, a local church. Anybody have any comments or questions about why baptism is to should be to church membership? Any any comments or questions about that? We'll move on. Okay, let's look let's look at the the the, uh, subject of responsibilities of members to their church? What kind of responsibilities do we have as members to the local church? So this is kind of a shift to another subject, but still related to church membership. Let me suggest a number of things to you. I'm tempted to ask you, in fact, why don't I just do that? Why don't I ask you to tell me some responsibilities of members to their church? Let me see how many of my list of uh, of seven things here uh, we can come up with uh, from you guys. What, I was a, what I'm asking is you know, a little bit more broad than that, because that, that would be an aspect of it. But I'm asking just in general, okay, I'm a church member, and there's privileges that go with it. We've mentioned some of them already, the Lord's Table and Baptism and Fellowship of the Saints. But what are my responsibilities to the church and to uh, my fellow members as a member of Christ's church? That is, uh, that, that's what I'm asking uh, in my question to be, an to, to be an encourager and to pray for one another is certainly one of uh, those uh, one of those things tithing financial support for the church 1 Corinthians 16:2 by the way just since you mentioned that and I I have the reference here 1 Corinthians 16:2 I'll just flip over there quickly and read it on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And so, there's an instruction there that we are to be uh, financial supporters of the church. There is, and that's also part of financial responsibility. Is a. Uh, is that very thing to be a, a financial support to the to the pastor? Who uh, what is the language of Scripture? Uh, oxen, uh, we shouldn't work our oxen without feeding them, and that's the that's the line of thought that is given by Paul as he makes a very powerful case that we ought to give honor, even double honor, to those who work uh, for us uh, in the Word of God. Excuse me. We should show up. Let's look at Hebrews ten twenty four. Regular attendance. I guess we're cre- preaching to the choir. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Let, let's read Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 and look at what? Some things that are in, in these two verses. And this is a passage I'm sure we're all familiar with. Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And that's what you were saying. Uh, how, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so what we're supposed to do is we are supposed to, as we, as we observe each other's life and as we live together, we are to, I'm to encourage you to do certain good works. I mean, subjects are going to come up, things are going to come up, and there's going to be opportunities. And we should encourage one another to participate in to do good works, we are to in verse twenty four also to stir up one uh, one another to to love each other to uh, to care for one another. And we should be we should be actively engaged in trying to promote that uh, in among God's people. And then at the end of verse twenty five, we are to be encouraging one another. and And how how and why would we be encouraging? one another if we don't know uh, any of the discouragements that they have if we don't know what's going on if we're not if we're not if we're not understanding and knowing them and all of this is surrounding this statement not neglecting to meet together we can't do any of those things if we're not here in the same place we're not going to be able to encourage and stir up one another for good things in the church or to encourage one another uh, as there are discouragements and needs. Uh, if, we're, if we're not meeting together, we're not going to be able to do uh, any of those things. And so this is a really, I would suggest, a really important statement about what we should do. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is. And we want to fight That tendency that uh, obviously there is uh, among God's people. Anything else come to mind? We are supposed to do that. In fact, while you're speaking about Galatians, look at five thirteen. Galatians five thirteen. And you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but, but through love serve one another. And so one of the things that we're supposed to do uh, as Christian people in a, in, in a congregation together is we are supposed to serve one another. First Peter 4.10 talks about this same thing, to, about serving one another, trying to meet one another's needs. First Peter 4.10 says this, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of, the, of God's varied grace. And so there is a grace that we all receive, and it's varied, meaning that we all have different kinds of, uh, of gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 talks specifically about this, that the Holy Spirit gives different gifts gifts to each person, that we're all different, but those gifts are given for the common good, never for our personal good Or we receive gifts, but it's for the good of others, and so here in 1 uh, Peter 4.10, he says that we are to be good stewards of God's varied gift, whatever that, the, the particular gift that you have that is different from what the next person has, you need to be a good steward of that. In the congregation of God's people, you need to be putting it to use. You need to be, uh, what does a steward do? A a steward works and puts it to use and makes it be beneficial. And that's what we're to do as we serve one another. So service is another of the responsibilities of members to the church. Of course, there is the broad principle of just loving one another. Uh, uh, Romans 12.10. Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love one another and even outdo each other in showing honor and showing respect and showing love uh, to one another. That is what we're to do. That's one of our responsibilities uh, as people in God's church. Look at James 5. Let me give you another Another responsibility, James 5 and verse 16. But I think we're all on the same page about understanding what our responsibilities are. Uh, James 5, 16. This is another responsibility we have. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another That you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so here one of the things that we're called to do is to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another, particularly here James is calling us to pray for one another. To pray for our personal needs and our personal struggles. And to pray for ourselves when we have sickness and and just all the things in life that, you know, that we are often talking about in, as we are, are going into times of prayer, we are, to be, we are to be doing that, and we have a responsibility to do that for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, one uh, last thing that I'll mention, and of course we, there are many others, and this is no, by, by no means an exhaustive list, but there is the whole issue of church discipline and accountability uh, in Christ church. We should be willing as God's people to confront sinning brethren. We should be willing as God's people to be confronted. Are you a person that could be approached and spoken to about something? That is every bit as hard as it is hard many times to be one who goes to a person and speaks to them about something. But we should be willing to confront sinning brethren and to be confronted uh, with an open heart uh, by our brethren if need, if need be. And, of course, there is also the whole Matthew 18 uh, scenario there about going to a brother and uh, if they won't hear you, taking another one with you to be a witness to what is said. And then if that doesn't bring about resolution uh, to, bring, uh, to bring that matter before the church and the whole issue of church discipline. And there's a lot of things that are involved in church discipline. Let me mention to you uh, just quickly, let me check my time because I don't know what time it is. Oh, it's 6.50, that's okay. Let me... Uh, yeah, let me just mention this, and then we'll, we'll uh, kind of come to a conclusion. Church discipline. Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 are the two passages that we most often talk about. Just, let me just, I, I have biblical, I have, I have scripture references for everything I'm going to say, but let me just run through these two lists because we're, uh, because we're out of time. Uh, note the basic occasions that warrant church discipline. And these are things that we find in the scriptures. When moral purity is lost, when doctrinal purity is under attack, that is when there's false teaching, false doctrine, when public testimony has been compromised and damaged, when church unity and peace is being undermined. Those are real examples we see in the New Testament where there's church discipline, things that Uh, would lead to, uh, that would warrant church discipline, discipline by the church. Let let me mention to you also the purposes of church discipline. It is to glorify God. It is to maintain the the purity of the church. It is to produce faith. It is to evangelize the unsaved. It is to set examples before God's people. It is to silence false teachers. It is to restore sinning believers. It is to protect the testimony of the church. It is to deter the Lord of the church from bringing cause of discipline to the body. In other words, the whole church can come under judgment if there are legitimate causes for church discipline. And we sit back and we don't do anything. You know what the scriptures say? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And that's the idea there behind that. And so I'll pass on giving you all those biblical references for the sake of time. So uh, those are reasons why salvation and baptism is to church membership. Those are the responsibilities of members uh, to the church. There are a number of other things relative to church membership that we might talk about, but we'll stop uh, at this point. and um, And I hope that that's helpful to us in understanding why it's so important. Why, why do we harp all the time on the church and loving the church and being faithful to the church and being present at church? Is for these reasons. Let's close with a word of prayer.